Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part two of our sermon series entitled, God at the Office. Please enjoy. How many of you have a job? How many used to have a job? How many want a job? Like, okay, good. That's most of us in here. If, you don't, if you're not in that category, this is what I'm going to say to you. For those of you who don't have a job, don't want a job, and, and are retired and done with jobs, I'm just going to give you the tools to encourage other people that do have jobs. That way we're all included today. Everybody say, okay. Part two of a series called God at the Office. Real quick, second question is this. How many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. You were not here last week. Where, where were y'all at? What's, what's up? No, I'm just kidding. Um, here's what I would love for you to do, though. I want you to go online and watch last week's message or pick up a free copy in the back. It's so important that you get last week's message because it really does set the tone for everything else that we say. Without that, we do definitely skip a beat. And here's, in essence, what we learned last week is that you and I run into a problem when we work for money or when we work for ourselves, or if we work for a boss or a company or for people in general, there's a problem there. And here, here's what we found out is that anytime we work for other people, there's always some type of negative outcome and negative result that is bound to happen. And Paul gives some incredible insight. And the insight he gives is this, is that if you really want to be successful on your job and at your occupation, which by the way, God takes delight in the fact that you work. And even when you get to heaven, there's a component of work at heaven somehow. But the way that you accomplish the most, produce the most, become everything that you need to become at work is that when we work as unto the Lord and not work as unto ourselves or unto that boss or that company or that 401k or that whatever, that there's something that changes in our heart when we realize that we're not working for a person nearly as much as we're working for the Lord. And that sounds strange to us. And what we also discovered is this, is that you and I, what we care about when it comes to our job is how much money we make. Can I get an amen or what was it? Like, that's not important. That's what we usually care about the most. If you go think about, you know, somebody offers you like, hey man, there's this job opportunity. Yeah, how much does it pay? We want to know, we want to know where that job is and we want to know how much it pays. And what we realize is that God actually thinks very, very little of those things. And God doesn't care nearly as much about where or how much. God cares about how you work. And how you work actually has eternal Ramification. I, I, I don't want to go anymore. Just go get the seating. Everybody say, okay. It's good. It, 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 as a matter of fact, I talked to a woman this morning who was here and said, Pastor, I'm so glad I was here last week because I had the most challenging work week. We had a conference and all these guys come into town and I got to take care of this and this and this. And she goes, and they were all basically mean and jerks and uptight and all this stuff. And she goes, had I not heard that message, she goes, I might be in prison today. And so I'm just kidding. She didn't, she didn't say that, but I felt it in her voice. Like, like it could have gone bad. Like it would have been something that would have been frustrating and overwhelming and discouraging. And it was one of those things that when you walk, uh, you walk home at the of the day or you go home at the end of the day and you're just spent and exhausted and discouraged. Why? Because you, well, if you're working for you or you're working for them, there's just some negative outcomes. But if you're working as unto the Lord, something begins to change in your heart. It's just something that's there. But today I want to take us on. Let's move forward now because there's an issue that you and I all face as Christians, as believers. Now, if you're in this place and you're not a Christian, you're going to, you're going to relate to what I'm saying either in a in a real positive way, and you're being glad I said what I said, and, but, but you might be like starting off on a negative standpoint. Because you and I as believers, or as followers of Jesus, all have an obligation, not only to, to do our work in a certain way in the how that we do our job, but also to carry a certain relationship into that job, and actually carry our faith into that job. Now here's the kickback, because I already know where some of you are at. 
Because some of you, if we were just totally honest, you, it took you a long time to come to faith in Jesus because of obnoxious Christians who were annoying. Can I get? Okay, good. I did. I remember being a young, young teenager and, and having this one or two particular people that would be around and would start being just annoying or obnoxious with their faith. Can I get? I mean, you, you've seen them before. It's not you. It's other people, I'm sure. Um, you would never do this because you come here and, and, and you've heard me tell you not to do that. So you would never do that. But other people do. And they're not, or they're mean. Because don't you, Christians can sometimes fall into two categories when it comes to sharing their faith. And one of them is that they're just kind of mean-spirited or like overbearing or harsh. They're the turn or burn crowd. They're the you need to get right or get left crowd. You need, they're just kind of, they're kind of a mean spirit about it. They're, their heart's in the right place. Their intentions are good, but they just kind of come off as harsh. The other category of Christian is this, is that they just weird. And, and here's what I've discovered about being a pastor and being in the church for so long. Is, is I used to think that there was just a sect of Christians that they got saved and they became kind of weird Christians. And I found that's not true. They was weird before they got saved. And they're just weird and now they blame it on Jesus. But they've always been weird. That's what I discovered about them, them kooky ones. Them, you know, granola Christians. Fruits, flakes, and nuts. Anyway, um, and so, so there's a kickback because you, you want to sometimes share your faith in an environment where you work, but you just know you don't want to be that guy or be that girl or come off that way or what if they reject or what if it, what if it you know, I got a good thing going here. You know, lunchtime is cool. I'm with the girls or I'm with the guys and it's all good. But if I start sharing my faith, it might get awkward. It might get funky. And there's, there's a kickback there to us wanting to share our faith because we don't know how they're going to respond. But can I just encourage you with this thought? You, you already do this anyway. Like you already have something in you that wants to talk about stuff that you think is good. You know what I mean? Like have you ever gotten around guys that like are into fantasy football? Like you can't get them to shut up. About who they drafted and how they drafted. And I'm one of them, I know. Um, how they drafted and what they did in the third round and what their sleeper picks were and what they're, how they're, you know, it's just, and girls, you hate it. Amen. I know, I know. But see, but see, here's what we know. We listen to you girls, not often, but we listen to you girls in your conversation. We can't follow is the problem. And, and, but you, you'll talk about stuff too. Like my wife is into this thing right now and she has told everybody, and I, she's got these girls uh, that she knows just hooked on this. Uh, she, she found out this thing about oils. Um, <laughs> And it's like, it's like these natural oils and these oils can like heal or help or not, not in a weird way, but just like, you know, or organic, holistic type, type medical stuff. And, and so like, man, she's like, any, anybody has an issue. She's like, I got an oil for that. You got to, oh, I got an oil for that. We just do a little, little ginger and butter and I, I don't even know what it all is. It's probably not butter, but. We, we see, you know what we would do, but we, but man, just rub some dirt on that. That'd be all right. You know, like. I just, I don't have a band-aid. Put some duct tape on it, you know. Um, my wife would be, mm, I've got an oil for that. So, uh, you know, she's got an oil for everything. i got an oil for a sickness, a disease, a, a, a rash, whatever funky thing you got. Just come talk to my wife and she'll cure that thing with an oil, apparently. And so, but, you know, you start talking about it with other people. And they're like, oh, you oil. And they, you, you start talking about it. You're the same way about sales. Like, mm, did you get that coupon? Did you know there's a sale going on at Macy's? Did you say there's a And you just get into this stuff. Guys, you go on a fishing trip, like, man, or a new Home Depot opens up. You know what I mean? You're like, man, do you know there's a Home Depot? They got a new Home Depot moving in down there. I don't have to drive all the way. You know, you get all excited about stuff that you think is fun or you think is cool. Well, here's, if you're not a believer and you're annoyed with us, here, here's what you need to know. The reason why we like sharing our faith is this. 
is we believe we found something really, really cool, really, really valuable, really, really incredible, really, really life-changing even, and we just want to share that with you. Now, here, this is what begs the question. Then how do we do that in a way that's not annoying or obnoxious? How do we do that in a right way? And sometimes that's the kickback. Here's the other one. Some of you in this place are Christians, and you've got it somehow embedded into your mind that you, you know, your, your, your faith in God, that's like a personal and a private thing, and that's just between you and God. And that's, that's something I do on Sunday morning, but really my work life, that's separate than my church life. I mean, my work life, because we've got it embedded into our culture right now, the idea that you've got to separate God from everything. Hey, God can't be at school. God can't be at your work. You've got these politically correct things, and you're like, I can't uh, upset the, you know, the flow of my work and my boss and getting that promotion or getting that raise or getting up to the next level. And so you, you got these ways of trying to kick back and you've been convinced that your, your faith is somehow personal and private. Now, now let me help you out real quick here. Your faith is definitely personal. It is absolutely not private. Okay, let me say that again. Your faith is totally personal. It is not in any way meant to be private. And that's the kickback many of us have is because we don't want to go into our work environment and we don't want to go in there and irritate people or upset the flow or, or throw things off. And we think, no, no, I just need to keep this separate. And as long as I keep it separate, I can kind of just keep doing what I'm doing here on my job and here on my work. And, and, and let, me, let me clarify that. That mode of thinking works as long as people don't go to heaven or hell one day. Like that mode of thinking works as long as there's not an eternity. That mode of thinking works as long as, as, as Jesus didn't die for anybody. Does that make sense? But when you begin to realize that God has incredible love and compassion for people, and that's why he sent his son to die for them, that kind of throws out that, that idea. Like, we can't any longer just sit back and say, well, you know, I, you know, I hope, or, you know, maybe, you know. Let God figured that out. No, no, no. God actually, and Jesus backs this up when he says specific things in Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at something very, very specific that Jesus says to a group of people, and I think it directly relates to how we look at how we go into our job. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, let's read together. The Bible says in verse 14, Jesus is speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. A town or city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That sounds silly. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, how many of you have heard this before? That you are the light of the world. Well, well he, here's the thing you have to realize about this, this comment, this statement, that Jesus is actually drawing on something from the book of Isaiah and he's trying to let these people know, like, we've missed something here. And so this is what happened. You have to remember that in the, in the, in the history of God and his interaction with mankind, that God's method was this, is that he saw the world in chaos because of sin. And he said, okay, we've got to fix this. So here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start with a family. As a matter of fact, I gotta start with just a dude to start a family. So I got this guy named Abraham, and I'm gonna start a family with him, and that family's gonna grow, and when it gets big enough, it's gonna become its own nation. And here's what I'm gonna do, is I'm gonna put my stamp on that one particular nation. And by doing that, I, I, I want this nation to become a model and a blueprint for how you're supposed to connect to God. So how you're supposed to worship God and know God and love God and serve God and obey God so that you can have the most blessed life possible. In Israel, they will be my blueprint. See, you can't think that God just liked Israel and hated everybody else. That's not true. God loved the entire world. He just chose Israel to become a blueprint and a model 
for how you connect to God. Because the idea was this. The idea was is that the whole world would look at a people that followed and served God. And they would say, wow, how, how is that nation so awesome? How is that nation so blessed? How is that nation so prosperous? How is that nation so together and so unified? Like, wh- what do they got going on? And they are irresponsible to say, well, that's because you don't know my God. Because if you knew the God we serve, you would know why we're so blessed and why things are together. Because when we serve him and we live according to his ways, the blessing of God is all over us. And that's what makes us such a great nation is because we have a great God. That was the idea. As a matter of fact, Isaiah points this out in Isaiah 49 verse 6. Listen how he even says it. He goes, it is too small a thing for you, meaning just Israel, to be my servant just to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those to Israel I have kept. I will also, everybody say also. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach, not, not, just not about Israel. Just not about this little corner of the world. We're talking about the entire world. And so Jesus is playing on this scripture. See, these people all knew the book of Isaiah and had heard the scripture Many, many times. And so he's playing on it. He goes, I need you to understand something. That you are the light of the world. That you're the people that should show the entire world what God looks like. Like you should be connected to God in such a way and have the blessing of God and the ways of God so operating in your life that the entire world looks at you and says, man, what? How is it your marriage is you actually like your wife? What is that? What, what, what is it with these kids? Like your kids are actually, you know, like wh- why is it that you're so happy all the time? It's like I, I'm battling depression and you seem to be happy. Why is that? The, the, the goal was this, is that the whole world as they are unraveling or falling into the chaos of sin, there should be this glide, this bright and glaring light that says, look, we have faith. If you want to know why my life is together, it has nothing to do with because I put it together. It's because God put it together. And if you want to know why my life is so blessed, it's because my God has so blessed me. If you want to know anything about why my life is good or happy or anything, it's because my God is so good. And this was the whole idea. And he describes it in this way. He goes, you need to know that your light is like a city set on a hill. Now, this had meaning to them back then because, and it has meaning to us. I was just on an airplane. And how many know when you're on an airplane at night and you're, you know, you're flying over some desert, you're flying over the Rockies, or you're, and all of a sudden you can see that light glowing in the distance. Or if you're ever driving at night and you can see the glow of a big city from miles and miles away, this was in essence what he was referring to. But he was even more important back then because they didn't have cars with headlights. See, one of the most dangerous things that you could do back in first century, you know, ancient Easter was like travel at night. I mean, not to mention the scorpions or, you know, the, the animals, not to mention, it was, it was just dangerous to be robbed or raided or whatever it was. And so the, the traveler would actually plan his trip to get from one city to the next city in one day's travel. And even if they couldn't get to the next one, they'd just stop and stay there because you didn't want to travel at night. And when that sun began to go down, that weary traveler was hoping and praying to God that he could see that light in the distance. Because that was his sign of hope that says, I don't have to travel through the night, I can get there. I'll be safe. I'll have a place for my family. And so he's saying to the people here, he's saying, that's you. Cities were always built on a hill for defense purposes, but for also for light purposes, that the, the world would see where a place of safety and refuge was. He describes it like this the second time. He goes, not only are you like a city that's set on a hill, but you're also like a lamp in the middle of a home. Now, a Middle Eastern home would be basically one big, gigantic room. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, I did something stupid the other day. It's actually a few weeks ago. Me and my buddy had this idea that we would change out all the different electrical sockets in my house 
Okay, let me back up. I didn't have this idea. My wife had this mandate and demand that, that, cause you know, like you got the electrical outlet and you can't have a white outlet with a cream. What, what, I don't know what you call that thing. Plate. You can't, you can't roll like that. And if you have that today, you've just learned. You can't forget that. There's more important things to learn today. But, but she's like, babe, I really want, you know, cause we just moved in this new house and she's like, I want all the things. And so I call up my buddy and he kind of shows me how to do it. You can tell this is all going bad right now. Uh, I'm no electrician. So he's like, yeah, it's just real easy. You know, so you do this with the this and with the this. And he does some of them and I do some of them. I don't know what we did, but here's what I know. At the end of the night when he's gone and we're shutting down the house to go to bed, which I kind of go to bed late, it's about midnight. And I go to flip off the last switch. I flip off the switch and here's what I hear in my house. It was, it was, you know, it was like in Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon was shutting down. That's what my house sounded like. And, and, and so sure enough, I'm like, oh, crap. Because I'm thinking, you know, it's cold out. This is like January. It's, you know, I'm like, I got no heat. My refrigerator's turned off. Like, I ain't got no light. And so then I call up my buddy who was helping me. I wake him up. And he's like, I'm literally going around the outside of the house to try to like, you know, because it is pitch black dark. When there is no lights in a house. We're talking about that little refrigerator light ain't on. The VCR light ain't on. I mean, like, there ain't nothing. There ain't no clock with the red glow. There is nothing on your house. When your house is pitched, by, by the way, I got electrocuted too. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do one of my wires right. I can just think I got one of those. So if you think I've been a little bit off the last couple of months, now you know why. But um, my, my point is this, is there's, there ain't nothing worse than not having power and not having light in your home. Well, how many know light is, light is a source of illumination. It's a source of energy. It's a source of warmth. And it basically gives a little bit of safety and security to the whole home when you know you've got a light on it and it is all kinds of bad when you can't get the light on. And Jesus is saying, you know what you are? You're a lamp in the middle of the home giving a glow to everything. But like you don't put a basket on top of a lamp. That's just dumb. And many of us, this is where our lives are. We're like, this little light of mine. I'm going to keep it all to myself. This little light of mine, it's mine and you can't have any. And that's kind of the way that we live our life. I don't know why. Are we recording? Anyway, um... Many of us, that's where we're kind of at. And so we go into our workplace, we go into our work environment, and we're like, this little light I can't tell you about, because I'm afraid how that'll go. And we have all these insecurities or fears or hang-ups about sharing this light. Now, now here, I'm going to ask you, because you are really smart people, I'm going to ask you a really easy question. Where do you need light the most? In, in the darkness, thank you. In the darkness. Somebody said something really weird over here. Um, <laughs> Most of you are really smart. Um, here, here's, here's what we know. Where do you need light? Where's dark? Now, now here's what you need to know about church. Um, it's already light in here. I don't know if you know this or not, but like the church is not where I need you to be the most lit. You know why? It's because even sinners act right at church. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't even know this, but there's people sitting around you. God only knows what they did last night, but they're acting good this morning though. But you, and you don't even know. You don't even know who you're sitting next to right now. They could be totally crazy and you, you don't even know what they did last night. But they're acting good at church. Why? Because, because, I just saw somebody look at their friend and get my eyes. Uh, <laughs> that's you. Uh, and my point is this, it's like, we, I, 
I'm glad that you're here and your light is here, but this is not where we need the light the most. Does that make sense? Like it's kind of already light in here. Um, for many of you, your home is already light. And if it's not, keep being the light there. Turn the light on. Let the light shine there. But where is it for most of us, you and I, where is it most darkest when we think about the different components of our life? Where is it the most darkest? Unless you work down at the Christian bookstore, it's at work. Right, yeah, where you work seemingly is the darkest place because some of you, you come home and you, you know, or you're even as I'm talking about this message, you're like, you don't know who I work with, man. I work with the most foul mouth, talk like a drunken sailor, crude, mean, inappropriate, this, this, this. Like, you don't even, I, I'm like, yeah, I do. I, I haven't worked in a church forever. You heard last week, you heard about my dozen crazy jobs. As the I, I'm telling you, I've been in the workplace and I know it's dark and I know it's different. And I'm telling you that what the world is looking for is for you to be light, to be a source of warmth. See, here, here's, and here's the problem, because I was one of them. When I was a brand new believer, I was so zealous and so excited about my new relationship with God. I wanted to tell everybody, and I honed in my light like a laser beam and burned people up. Because I was so just, you need to know. And I would, you know. You just, you, you. And, and I don't want you to be, um, you know, I don't want you to be a blowtorch. I want you to be a campfire. Okay, I want you to be a source of warmth, the place where people, you are the light of the world. People should be able to look at your life and say, what is it about you? And why is it that you're happy? And why is it that your marriage is still together? And why is it that you have peace of mind? And why is it when, when sequestrians are going on or when there's layoffs to talking, or you're still at peace and it doesn't seem to bother you? And why, why does this not affect you? And why does our jerk boss never make you mad and cuss and yell? Why, why is that? And this is ultimately what the world is looking for. Let's, let's keep going. I'm going to give you a few, a few ideas here on what I've learned about being in the workplace or what I, more importantly, what I've seen out of great people in the workplace. Because there's some people that have a knack for sharing their faith in a really cool way. There's some people that are just really, really smooth at sharing their faith. And here's one of the, some of the testimonies of the stories or some of the things I've heard back from the people. Then they tell me about their story and having an impact in their workplace. Are you ready? Number one is this. Everybody say character. Character is the foundation to all of this. And here's why. Because when you don't have any moral authority, your voice is silent. When you don't have any moral authority, it's hard. Because, you know, if you were the one that, that destroyed the fax machine, or when you were the one that cussed out your boss, or when you were the one, it's hard to be like, you know what, you need Jesus in your life. They're like, no, you need Jesus in your life. Um, so having character, having high moral character is a huge, huge component. And, and here's the ultimate reason why. is because at some point, you will so be different than everybody else. You want them to ask the question, why? Like, why? Why didn't you take the deal? Why didn't you, why didn't you take the promotion? Why didn't you go to that city? Why didn't you, you know, like, like we were on that business trip and it's like every time we're at the trip, we go out to the club and we do the thing, but you always say, can you drop me off back at the hotel? And like, why? like what, what is that? You want them to ask the question, Why? Why are you a little bit different than everybody else? And here's, here's what I don't want you to say. I don't want you to say, oh, well, because you're a heathen and you're going to split hell wide open one day, okay? <laughs> That's not what I want you to say. I don't want you to go on and on about, well, it's because I believe that, you know. I... See, here's, here's what we know, is that what Jesus really wants to be in your life is not a new creed, and is not a new set of rules, but rather what he wants to be is the most important relationship that you have. 
And so when, you, when they ask you the question, why, I don't want to talk, I don't want you to talk about what you do. And do. This is the problem with Christianity. Christians in America today are more known for what they're against than what they're for. And they're more known, more known, more known I'll get that out. They're more known for what they're against rather than who they're with. See, like for you who say, I can't take my faith into my job, this is why this is ludicrous. It's based on the idea that God is not having a new set of rules or a new creed or a new whatever. We've had rules since the, since the dawn of time. Even when God wasn't in their lives, we've always had rules. That, that's not the, the main thing. It's the who more important than it is the, the what. Are, are you hearing me? And see, many of you, when you say, well, I can't take my faith into my workplace, this is why it all falls apart. It's because you can't do that with your wife, can you? Like, you can't be like, oh, look, babe. When I go to work, you just need to know. We're married at home. Okay, we're married on Sunday morning even, okay? Like, we're, we're together. But when I go to work, I can't be married anymore. Because I cannot let my relationships influence what I do at work. Now, how many of you... Because, guys, can you imagine what that would look like? Like, babe, look, here, here's the deal. It's just, it's just the way it has to be in my work environment. I just take my ring right off and I put it in, in, in the car. And I leave it in the car when I go to work. Because I can't, I can't let my relationships influence my work life. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what, you can leave your ring in the car and you sleep in that car. <laughs> and, and why? Because you can't separate your relationships from your work, can you? We're not talking about your creeds. We're talking about your relationship with a who, with Jesus. And you can't separate that. So when people ask you the question, why, because of your unique character, I want you to say, it's not because of, of, of a what, it's because of a who. And, I, I, you know, this is the opportunity. This is the moment that begins to open up the door for you. Number two is this. Everybody say information. It, we, we live in an information age, and we live in an area, a time, which you, you have access to all kinds of cool things that we never had access to years and years ago. And we run into people all the time who are going through something tragic or difficult or hard or unique. And, and you know what? Here's the reality. When somebody is, is going through a death in the family, you've got a great opportunity to step in and say, hey, you know what? You know, I have an incredibly cool book on, on heaven. I, I don't know if you'd want that or not, but here, I just thought of you when I, when I saw this book and wanted to give it to you. Hey, my pastor just did a series on that, and I, I just thought I'd give it to you. And you know, if you don't ever listen to it, that's okay, but I just thought maybe, just maybe. And you know, here, here's the opportunity that you have to pass along some type of information. It could be for a future, so you could be knowing someone that's battling depression right now, and you say, hey, look, my pastor's doing a series on joy coming up, and I really, really think it might be the thing that you need to help just get over that hump and really have a little bit more joy in your life. And you have the ability to pass on information. Uh, number three is this. Everybody say invitation. Yeah, you, you live in a world where like, you need to know this. Like when, when Jesus said to his first followers, I want you to become what? Fishers of men. Here's in essence what he was talking to them about. They already had a job where they were fishing, right? And they were really good at it because they were professional fishers. They made a living at it. If they weren't good at it, they would be dead. So so we know that they were good fishers. And he goes, here's what you're going to do from this moment forward is you've been good at fishing, but I'm gonna make you really good at connecting other people to my heavenly father. That's what you're gonna get good at. And as long as you follow me, that's your job. And that's what he says. He goes, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, which means this, to follow is to fish. And to fish is to follow. And if we're not fishing, we're probably not following. So there's this dynamic that's going on here. And there's this thing, and, and you need to know this because you and I are Western. Like I grew up fishing, and you know what fishing looks like to me? that's what it looks like right we get in a boat or we get on the shore you know that's what we call lazy fishing right there when you get just go catfishing you just throw it out there and the little bobs on top and you just sit there and hang out and chill and that's and that's how you like that's lazy fishing but see that's not eastern fishing in eastern fishing you would never fish alone you would fish in teams 
with large nets. And so you have the ability, because of church, to say, hey, look, as a church, let's throw out a wide net. Let's just see if we can get some people to come to church. And so you have these moments to where you don't have to actually know everything. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the answer to all their questions. All you have to do is say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should just try to come to church with me sometime. And by doing that, we team together to say, hey, let's share the, the incredible great news of what Jesus has done for us. Let's do it as a team. Can I get an amen? Um, you know, here's another one. Number four is this, is your story. And we talked about this last year a little bit. There's nothing more powerful than your story. Like, because you can argue theology with me. You can't argue my story. It's my story. You can't argue about that. Like what God did in me, what God saved me from, what God showed me, you can't argue that. You can argue all the different little things. We can talk about science and we can talk about the religion. We, we do all that. You can't argue with my story. And so we need to be good at telling our story just in a real simple, brief way saying, hey, I don't know everything, but here's what I know. When I was this, when I was lost, when I was here, when I was, when I was going through this, this is what Jesus did for me. I believe he'd love to do that for you as well or meet you in your place of need, whatever that is. And that's your story. Number something, seasonal celebrations. Yeah, this is huge. We, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago at Easter. I mean, there's some people that will just go to church on Easter just because it's Easter. I mean, there's a bunny involved, there's some chocolate, there's a ham afterwards, and I'm down. I'll just go. It's some religious holiday, and you're supposed to, and I'll wear a hat or some fluorescent, not fluorescent, what is it, pastel colors. <laughs> fluorescent. I told you I was a little off. Um, yeah, these seasonal celebrations that you get to invite. Christmas is one of them. Come on, everybody loves baby Jesus. That guy that drives the race car, he loves baby Jesus. I mean, like everybody, baby Jesus ain't hurt nobody. You just come baby Jesus. And, and, and the, these are things that I want to even encourage you. If you're a boss or a manager, especially a, a, an owner, you even have the ability to do some on-site gatherings maybe. Like you have the ability to say, hey, you know, and go to your boss or go to whoever and say, hey, is it okay that I have like maybe... You know, maybe an early morning Bible study. Maybe you know some other believers and just through having a quick little simple Bible study at work, you get, to, you get to just be this little bit of light. And you do it in a unique way. You do it in a cool way. You do it in a way that works by just having a little on-site Bible study. And every once in a while you say, hey, we just have these meetings. There's breakfast. You start buying donuts. People show up. That's some of our volunteers just because of the donuts. They just come. Donuts. You got to remember, think about this with Jesus. Jesus is always feeding people. Man, people come to eat. Right? Danny, you start having barbecue Bible studies. <laughs> Revival hit your neighborhood. So, so my, my point is this. is like you just start doing some things where you get to be a light in a dark place. This is what Jesus said about you. Let me read it for you again. You are the light of the world. You don't build a city and not put it on a hill so you, it can be hidden, but rather you, you, you put it up high to where all the weary travelers can find the place of, of safety and refuge. Neither do you put a, a, a light and then a lamp and then put it under a bowl or put a basket on top of it. You'd probably burn the house down. Instead, they, they put it on a stand so it gives life to everyone in the house. Verse 16 says this. It says, in the same way, meaning I need to be like this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That you should live a life in such a way that somehow, in some way, in some uniqueness, it points other people to who God is in your life. Last story, and I'll close with this. There was, it, it was early in the 1900s. There was a small town, and their light system had gone out where the railroad tracks and the road intersected. 
And so their plan was just to temporarily put a man there who would, who would sit there and he would wait. And if he ever saw a car coming, he would just turn on his lantern, wave the lantern and get the car to stop and to slow down. And, and one night the man had fallen asleep. But he, had, you know, he heard the train coming, so he kind of just starts to wake up, and he sees a car and a vehicle coming, and he decides, man, i got to get up and warn this thing. And so he grabs his lantern, runs out there real quick, and just starts waving it and waving it, trying to get the car to stop. And for whatever reason, the train doesn't stop, and that car doesn't stop, and he knows there's, there's this. So he just starts waving it harder and harder and faster and faster, and he's just trying and trying and trying. And sure enough, the car never sees it. He jumps out of the way at the last minute, and the car crashes, and everyone in the vehicle dies. And when the investigators and the police were there, kind of just figuring out what all had happened, they looked at all that the man had. And it was just a sad, simple mistake. And he goes, sir, it wasn't that you didn't wave the lantern. It's that you forgot to turn the light on. And sometimes the lot, people are incredibly valuable to your heavenly father. You need to know that. You can always know what the value of a thing is based on what somebody's willing to pay for it. How valuable are you? That God would pay the price of his only son so that you might be saved and forgiven and free. So you need to know that people have incredible value to your heavenly father. That God loves people so much. And what Isaiah was saying to the people of Israel was this. It's not a small thing that it's just you that know God. That, that's too little of an idea. God's big and great idea in the earth wasn't let me save just this little handful of people or let me save this little pocket of people or let me save this little room full of people. That wasn't it. It was let me start with you and I'm going to make you the light of the world so that the entire world can look at you and know a little bit more of what God is like. So that when they look at you, they see the kindness of God and the goodness of God and the compassion of God. They see the ways of God operating in your life and they're like, something is unique. Something is different. You're like a place of refuge and safety. You're a place of, of illumination and warmth. You are the light of the world. That's what you were meant to be. You think God's big idea was to just get you to heaven? God's big idea was to get you to know him so that you could show the whole world what God is really like. Let's pray this morning. God, it's too small of a thing for me just to know you. It's too small of a thing just for us to have a great little Sunday morning gathering. It's too small of a thing. God, there's something bigger that you want to do in us. There's something bigger that you want to do through us. And God is to be the light of the world. We're not better than anybody else. But we found something that's unique. Something incredible. Something amazing. God, help us to be really, really good at connecting other people to your heavenly Father. God, help us to be really, really good at not being obnoxious or annoying or weird, but God, let's be really, really good at showing other people your kindness and your goodness. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. God, let us be carriers of your light. Let us carry with us into the workplace, into the dark places. God, let us carry hope. Let us carry faith. Let us carry love. Father, help us to be the carriers of that light, Lord. That is our prayer and hope and desire in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. 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 Let's give a little big hand clap this morning. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.